Hello and welcome to the Travelling Through podcast. I'm your host Emma and each week I'm out and about chatting to Londoners and those who love, live and work in this big and glorious city. A couple of weeks ago I was fortunate enough to catch up with Sarah Penner who was over from the States. Her debut novel The Lost Apothecary went to the heady heights of the New York Times top 10 bestsellers list. As the paperback has been published by Legend Press in the UK, she was over to promote her book and it was with great pleasure that I was able to go for a walk and talk with her around London, particularly to Bear Alley, where the book commences. Sarah began writing historical novels inspired by a visit to the old Cheshire Cheese pub in London where she was fortunate enough at one point to be able to glance at the old visitor logs and this inspired her to start writing. She recognised that there were so many untold stories that she could, using her imagination, start to write. Her next book, also set in London, is called The London Seance Society that will be coming out next year. As we walk and talk with her husband behind us, making sure that we don't get too lost, we find Bear Alley and eventually Blackfriars Bridge. Sarah shares her thoughts on London, the world and life. Well, hello everyone. This is the Travelling Through podcast. And in this episode, I'm here with Sarah Penner, who's come all the way from Florida and has just arrived in London on a lovely sunny day. Hello, Sarah. Hello, Emma. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. And it's uh, lovely to meet you as I'm in the middle of reading your book. I have to admit, I haven't got right to the end of it, (laughs) of The Lost Apothecary. Uh But it's been a huge success in America and it's your second book, but your first published book, is that correct? Yes, that's right. So The Lost Apothecary was published in hardcover in the States in March of 2021. Yes. And it just came out in paperback uh, very recently. And so I'm here now in London kind of celebrating and doing a short tour to uh, celebrate the paperback. Yes, release. and promote it, no doubt. As That's well. right. So it was a huge success as a hardback in in America. Yes, it debuted at number seven on the New York Times bestseller list. Yes, and it has sold in more than forty countries, and. Uh, it's been optioned for a drama series by Fox Entertainment. Oh wow, how exciting. Yes. Is all, this all very unexpected for yes, you? And- yes, exactly. Uh, you know, this is, as you said, the second book that I have written. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first manuscript that I wrote was rejected by 130 literary agents. Oh, crikey. So it seems to be a story of many authors. Isn't yes, it, I think rejection. that most authors um, know this all too well, this um, sequence of rejection and trying to pick yourself up and, uh, you know, get back to the page. But I'm very excited that my second attempt at writing a novel was the one that uh, did the trick. Took off. It's amazing. Just after, you know, the second book, that's pretty yes. impressive. And yes. I read somewhere, I think it might even have been on your website, that you you went about it in a very different way. You almost pitched it before you'd even written it. That's right. So I tried something a little bit different with my first book, the one that was rejected by all of those literary agents. I found myself at the end of the process needing to pull together a brief synopsis of what the book was about and I was struggling at that time to really identify the character problems and the stakes uh, you know what they had to lose and some of the key conflict and I think that that is part of why the book was rejected by so many agents because those really important pieces of information weren't clear in the story so with The Lost Apothecary I decided to to try a different strategy and on a single page of paper to write down all of that information. So okay. the conflict, the stakes, etc. and then draft the story from there. And I think that that worked a lot better because I was able to have a little bit of a roadmap to see what I needed to uh, write as I proceeded through the story. Okay, so it was a, it was a very 
in my mind, a very systematic and also very uh, pragmatic approach you took to the first book to, to really pull it apart and say, right, what do I need to do? Right, a bit like knitting, you know, you pull exactly. off, find the mistake and, and do it again mm -hmm. and in a different, in a different way. Yes. Style. Yes, that's right. And what's, we're in London, obviously, for you to promote the book, uh -huh. but what, what was the catalyst for you to um, set the book in London? So I have a background of 13 years in finance and mm -hmm. in the corporate America world. And I was fortunate enough during that time to travel to London quite a few times for work. So this is probably my 10th or 12th visit here. Yes. Um, in fact, my husband and I were just reflecting yesterday how familiar this city feels and there are many cities in the United States that don't even feel as familiar as London does to me. Um, so during one of those work trips, I just felt that almost as though I'd lived here in a prior life, mm -hmm. um, I just felt really connected to the city and inspired by all of the old buildings and yes. the old gardens, kind of like Russell Square just ahead of us. I feel like London is such a great juxtaposition of new versus old. Mm -hmm. And I just find that really inspiring. And there is a, a pub on Fleet Street called Yale Cheshire Cheese. Yes. Have you been there? <laughs> Yale Cheshire Cheese, yes. Okay, so it's, it's a great old pub, isn't it? Yes, yeah. it's so atmospheric. And, you know, the, the walls are this kind of burnished, lacquered, dark uh, wood paneling and they have all of these little artifacts around the building that are hundreds of years old and I can honestly say that visiting that pub many many years ago it's probably six or seven years ago now was the catalyst for me deciding that I wanted to write historical fiction okay. because I just felt so inspired about the the untold stories Yes. and the things that would have happened in this old building, you know, long before our time. So uh, that that visit to London where I went to Yale Cheshire Cheese was really pivotal for me. And I've been back, you know, many times since. And in fact, a few years ago before the pandemic, I had the opportunity to speak with the manager at the time and she, took me up to like their locked office on the second or third story mm -hmm. and showed me all of these old visitor logs that people in the 1800s, when they would arrive at Yale Cheshire Cheese, they would sign in in these logs. So uh, that was really special to have access to some of that, those private manuscripts that yes. other people so cool don't get to see. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we're about to be barraged by school kids coming I know. We're also probably, I think we're on the wrong side uh, of the road. It's all right, though. We're just waiting to pass by. So we're, we're being uh, stalked by your husband, who's got the map in case we get That's lost right. due to my bad sense of direction. But um, we're actually heading eventually to Bear Alley, uh, which is actually the starting point of the book. Um, but also Back Alley, which I googled Back Alley because I was trying to work out where the Back Alley was uh -huh. before Bear Alley. Yep. And I realised, and I didn't appreciate this, that there are actually a lot of streets in London that were, were, that were actually called Back Alley. That's right. And um, in the book, yeah. The Lost Apothecary, really Nella the Apothecary talks about that, how many alleyways were called Back Alley. But the reason she puts a bear on her vials, it's kind of her trademark, is because her the back alley where her hidden shop is at uh, runs perpendicular to Bear, bear Alley. Alley. And it, that Bear Alley is no longer existent. It's obsolete. Mm -hmm. um, it was built over, just as we learn about in the book. Mm -hmm. So, um, of course, Bear Alley is still there. It's Back Alley. Back that's Alley has gone. Which, that, which yeah. is... Not, yeah, and most of them are just, uh, yeah, have disappeared as, yes. as London has grown and That's modernized right. and everything. That's um, right. And it's interesting that, you, that you've that you set the story in two timelines, both 
a modern timeline as well as uh, in 1790s. That's right. And why in two timelines? Why did you decide So to... when the story idea originally came to me, you know, the title of the book is The Lost Apothecary. That's always been the title. And if something is lost, it implies that it can be found. Mm -hmm. And I knew, so I knew that someday the secrets of the apothecary would need to be discovered, but I wanted the apothecary's skill and expertise to be such that none of her contemporaries would discover her identity, her location, her work, etc. Right. So, um, I wanted the person to find her to be someone that was not a contemporary. So okay. someone that was, you know, 200 years Oops. later. We're going right, Marcus. Okay, yeah, yeah. And, and that is, and also without spoiling the book for anybody, I mean, that whole process of Caroline, who is the modern day sort of heroine, I suppose, if you can yes. call her a heroine. So, yep. Mm -hmm. uh, she, um, her, her approach and how she finds it is is quite interesting and there's a real parallel between I think between the women of the past and the woman of the modern day. Yes, that's exactly right. So that's one of the benefits of writing a dual timeline story is the opportunity to both compare and contrast how things are different and similar. 200 years ago versus now. So a few examples um, in terms of the similarities. Caroline, the modern day heroine, she's found herself betrayed by her husband. And of course, all of the customers coming into Nella's hidden apothecary shop have found themselves betrayed. Um, so that, that feeling of, of betrayal and then the desire to seek vengeance is universal and spans centuries. So yes. that's, I mean, that's part of the human experience. So yes. Yes. that was interesting for me to explore that similarity. But yes. then there are a lot of differences in the way that women 200 years ago could handle a challenging situation versus how they would handle it now. So 200 years ago, a woman could not divorce her husband that wasn't a legal option available uh, without her husband she would be impoverished on the street yes probably lose her children uh, maybe even charged with a crime yes so they for a woman 200 years ago to exit a marriage that she didn't want to be in she would either have to just leave uh, kind of on cover of the night and escape or take other options like we see in the lost apothecary yeah. and you know maybe seek poison to to rid herself of her husband but now in present day caroline isn't faced with those uh, minimal options she has the ability to seek a divorce or consider a legal separation she has the ability to go to school to get a different degree to make a career change she has the ability to choose whether or not she wants to have children she has yep. the ability to own assets and enter into contracts on her own these are all things that women 200 years ago didn't have the ability to do so that was one of the most interesting things about writing this book was explaining or kind of presenting to the reader how things have changed yeah. in two centuries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what I found interesting about your characters was that actually I was drawn more to your characters of the 1790s, 1790s, mm -hmm. than I was to your modern day characters. Right. And it was almost like a flip of the the uh, the older characters in adversity. They were very strong. They were weak but they were very strong individuals and had a sense of dignity and a sense of, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Purpose, I suppose, and sure. of trying to get themselves out of a situation, whereas the, your modern day hero and heron were quite weak characters 
and and um, I, I found, uh -huh. and, and and it's not meant to be a criticism. It's just no, like yeah. it is actually reflects modern day our, our weaknesses because we have everything. That's We're right. not used to diverse uh, adversity. Yes, and as a result, that they are very. Um, um, in, in need of one another and, and don't realize that they can be independent which is extraordinary in, in a modern day when we can be independent uh, we're weaker with that option I don't know whether that's something that you specifically explored or something I just read into it right no I think that that is absolutely accurate um, I think the the fact that Caroline decides to exploit her options is very telling um, because, you know, uh, I don't know that I'd use the word weaker. I think she has more options and she chooses to to use them. So yes. that's great. Yes, but, yes. In the end, she, in the she, end. she's strong. That's right, right. But I felt she was slightly, she was a, a weaker character because she had allowed herself to mm, sort mm -hmm. of not be strong like you would have to be in the past. Sure, right? You had to right. stand up for yourself more than... That's right, that's, uh, that's right. Uh, yeah, and, and um, so your, your, your story is set around this area that we're walking past. We're just walking past Russell Square now. Yes. And, the, and we're walking to Bear Alley, but it's around um, uh, Farringdon Road and Flatfriars. Uh -huh. That's and, right. And why did you choose this specific area for your story? Well, when I used to travel for work, um, I was very familiar with the Fleet Street area. That's where my offices were at. And kind of, that's obviously up near St. Paul's Cathedral. And so when I began looking for where to set the story, I pulled up John Roke's map from 1746, mm -hmm. which is considered the gold standard of London maps from the 18th century. And I was looking for teeny tiny little alleyways that are no longer in existence. Okay. Because I, I wanted my character Caroline to uncover this old location. So. Yes. That helped me narrow down where in the city I wanted to be. And then at that point, I just pried open the map mm -hmm. and started zooming in to find all of these little tiny streets. Yeah. And that's how I ended up there. Okay. And have you actually been to Bear Alley? I assume you have, or is this our um, first mission? <laughs> so it's funny you ask that. Uh, I haven't. Oh gosh, um, okay. I have, just a couple days ago, we were like, of maybe 50 meters away from it, but we didn't cross over uh, to go see it, which is fine. I mean, as you'll see, it's it really is an alleyway between um, kind of situated uh, amongst these very contemporary office buildings. Yeah. But I'm glad that we have the opportunity to go there now. It's yes. very uh, suited to this discussion. <laughs> it is, isn't it? And it um, so as Mark could get us there. Right. <laughs> We're relying on your husband here. That's right. <laughs> um, and it's, um, I mean, all around Covent Garden too, there's lots of little alleyways and interconnecting lanes and little streets. That's right. makes London still a very exciting and curious place for the adventurer, I think. Yes. Um, in amongst all the modern buildings, there's, there's a lot of old that still exists. And around St Paul's Cathedral was another area where you set your one of your characters lived, uh, Lady Clarence. She lived just off. It was at Carter Lane. Uh, Carter. Car yeah, that sounds. <laughs> it's funny, you know. I've written uh, two books since the Lost Apothecary. Okay, and so you. The uh, the sh this this book has been out for a year and a half. Carter Lane sounds correct. It, it, she was there, and then. Eliza, um, who's the 12-year-old in the story that we haven't talked about, she was over on Warwick Lane. So a lot of streets are kind of incorporated into the story. Yeah, it is. I wonder whether we can walk down this street here and get off the main road. This is, da this is down Dickens, Dickens House yeah, is down here. So we, we'll, should, we should, we cross could over. maybe cross over here. Yeah. When you do these podcasts, what areas do you typically walk with people? 
wherever they want to walk. Okay. So I've been all over London, mm -hmm. so, uh, which makes it really interesting. Right. It's their, it's their podcast walkers. <laughs> yes. So uh, I very much like it to be where they want to go. So. Right. And uh, when you start looking around, it's the screen that's cable Oh, okay. The more you start to explore, the more you realise, you know, the whole of London is just oozing history, really, from, from centuries ago. Yeah. But, um, that's what makes it a fascinating city that people just come back to time and time again. You can't get bored of London. Exactly, yes. Or as, as the book goes, if you're bored of London, you're bored of life. That's right. And, you know, I think that every time I visit, there are different little streets. I mean, this street is a perfect example. I've never been here and it's really very charming. So. Yes, yeah. And the, this is where you find the best pubs generally. Right, well, kind of, hidden off of the hidden off of the main road. Exactly, exactly. Um, and so Florida, that this is where you were, were brought up. And, and to, to create a story in the, the heat of Florida, in, in February of London, was that quite difficult to sort of immerse yourself in cold weather? <laughs> um, well, so I was actually born and raised in Kansas, which is in the in the central United States. Okay. Uh, I li I've lived in Florida for the last five years, but mm -hmm. to your point, the entirety of The Lost Apothecary was written while in Florida. And yes, it, it's funny you asked that. Um, it was somewhat challenging to write uh, cold weather yes um, in the heat of Florida um, but that's so much of the book is imagination so that was just a yet another thing that I was imagining yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but have you grown up with a very vivid imagination writing and this is something that's come to you later and and an escape from finance almost you know I uh, growing up I was for all intents and purposes, an only child. Okay. Um, are we gonna go straight here? We're gonna here? go right here. Go right, so okay. okay. Yeah. I, I do have three half siblings, but they're all much older than me. So I, I essentially grew up at home, you know, with just alone, just with my own company. And I was a really avid reader mm -hmm. growing up and also dabbled in a little bit of poetry. I, I kept a journal and, and diary. And um, so I think the interest in writing was always there, but I will say the imagination aspect of it didn't really start to form until later. I, I never wrote fiction when I was younger. Okay. I loved the idea of writing a book and being published someday. I mean, I think so many young people aspire to that, yes. but um, it was really only, you know, I mentioned earlier that London was, was kind of the catalyst. Um, and of course, reading historical fiction as well. Yes. It was only in my late 20s that I decided, okay, I'm going to actually try and sit down and learn the craft of storytelling mm -hmm. and develop a story. Um, and the imagination kind of just came from that point. Okay. And I, I read that, uh, that you attended one of Elizabeth Gilbert's courses. To, That's that right. was a real inspiration for you. Yes. So Elizabeth Gilbert is most well known for her book, Eat, Pray, Love. Yes. Um, however, she also wrote a nonfiction book for creative people called Big Magic. And mm -hmm. it's about balancing fear and creativity. Mm -hmm. And I went, she was on tour when I lived in Kansas. Um, this was, I believe, you know, seven or eight years ago. Okay. And she, I felt so fortunate to be in the same room as her in the audience as she spoke. And she asked the audience a question, something along the lines of, what are your dreams, particularly your creative dreams? And if I were to return in one year and ask if you had taken any steps toward those dreams, would the answer be yes, would the answer be no? And how would you feel if the answer was no? Like, how would you feel inside? And so it was just kind of a poignant moment for me yeah. because I realized that life is short and I did have creative dreams that I wanted to pursue and they weren't gonna happen on their own. I needed to do something to make them happen. So, yes. um, 
So kind of that was a, a, another yet another catalyst. There yeah, yeah. were a lot of things that roughly in the same time frame kind of inspired me to get started. Okay, because with your with your job in finance, it meant you traveled quite a lot. So you had a very uh, broad outlook on life as a result of that. That's right. Would you say? Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean being born and raised in Kansas, there's not much going on out there. And <laughs> I've never been. <laughs> there's no reason for you to go. Oh, okay. The people are good, but there's it's not an inspiring location by any means. Mm -hmm. And uh, shall we go left here? Uh, let's we'll go, go left. left. Yeah. Uh, you know, to, to find real inspiration, I needed to leave Kansas. And I was lucky enough, as I mentioned, to be able to travel for work. Mm -hmm. But then this is ultimately why about five years ago, my husband and I decided to relocate to Florida because we love to be outside. We love the landscape, the beaches, the sunshine. Mm -hmm. And in Kansas, it's, it's honestly kind of like here in Kansas, more than half of the year, you can't really go outside. It's frigid cold or snowing or sleeting. But in Florida, every almost every day is as sunshiny as this. Yes, yes. And it's a dress day every day. That's right. <laughs> For girls, anyway. That's right. <laughs> Although they say the the way the uh, in Norway and Sweden they say there's no such thing as bad weather, just the wrong clothing. <laughs> just the wrong clothing. That's yeah, that's funny. Um, <laughs> that's the way we have to look at it here. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> um, so when your book took off, mm -hmm. you've really, I, I noticed again on your, on your uh, website that you've done a lot of events. Yes. And has that all been yourself promoting yourself? How, how, much, how much effort has gone into it uh, well, on an individual, on a personal level to, to, to get the book where it is? Oh, well, I can, I really can't take much credit for much of the publicity and promotion. I have a really outstanding team in the United States, mm -hmm. uh, Park Row Books, they're an imprint of HarperCollins. Yes. Um, they have done a lot of the heavy lifting as it relates to promotion and publicity. Uh, they've also assisted in coordinating a lot of those events that you saw. However, I, of course, uh, have been the one to appear at all of events. Of course, events. yes, you've got to and stand so, in front of everybody. <laughs> that's right. So I, I fully give myself the credit for that because I don't think readers realize, um, you know, I'm asked to do book clubs all the time. Yeah. And I finally have started declining nearly all of the requests because it's, um, you know, it's a lot out of the day. Yeah. And yeah. Um, they're often in the evening. So I like to do, do my hair and put on some makeup and I don't want to just show up in PJs. <laughs> and then I've, I've got to spend an hour with the book club and it's a lot of energy, a lot of questions. So I, um, I look forward to the tour and events for the Lost Apothecary coming to a conclusion yeah. because I've been talking about the book for a year and a half now. Okay. And I'm looking forward to moving on to the next Yes, which and is also set in London. It is, and yes. it's called the London Seance Society. That's right. Great title. Yes. <laughs> I'm already intrigued. We were all so. very excited with that title. Yes. Um, Shall we go left or straight? Straight. Okay. Very helpful that he's yes. guiding us where Thank we need you, to go. <laughs> Should we go on the other side? It's a bit cooler, isn't it? Sure, so. yes. Let's do that. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a shade scuttler at heart. <laughs> That's, that's smart. You know, in Florida, the sun is so much more direct and yes. intense and you'll sunburn very easily. Yes, I, do. I just need to look at the sun and I go pink. So. Oh, right. <laughs> so, so, so going back to the London Seance Society, so yes. is it set in another part of London or how, how did you go about uh, creating this, this book? Or are you not able to talk right. about it? No, I, I'm happy to talk about it. Um, the book actually opens at a deserted, gloomy chateau outside of Paris. Okay. There's only about two chapters set there. 
we meet our main spiritualist. Mm -hmm. um, another word for that is a medium or a ghost hunter. Mm -hmm. We meet her and we learn that she is trying to identify the culprit in a murder case. Okay. Um, and to, to do that, she is conjuring the spirit of the deceased. So that we quickly learn that that is her method of work. She, she conjures ghosts yes. to identify the people who, who killed them. So she's called on to these high profile murder cases. Okay. So a short while later, we see her um, board a, a train and then travel by ship here into the heart of London. And she meets a man named Mr. Morley. Mm -hmm. And he is a member of a prestigious Weston gentlemen's club known as the Seance Society. Okay. And he has a very tricky murder case that he needs her assistance on. So as the book proceeds, we learn that she is not just helping to solve a murder case, but perhaps embroiled in one herself. Right. So the book takes place on the north end of St. James Square. Mm -hmm. And perhaps some of your listeners know this, and, or maybe some don't, but in London, so the entire book is set in 1872 and 1873. Mm -hmm. And that was really the heyday of two things. The first one being belief in spiritualism. So parlor room seances were happening all over the city. Yes. Ghosts were very in vogue. So it was the heyday for spiritualism, but it was also the heyday for these exclusive men's only clubs. And okay. there were clubs related to politics, travel, yes, yes. Um, you know, betting and horse racing, every possible um, field of interest. There was a gentleman's club that you would pay your dues. A lot of them had membership waiting lists of up to 50 years and they all had bylaws and often these bylaws prohibited women from entering the premises at all. They still exist in London, you they know? Still exist. <laughs> As you know. That's exactly right. Uh, I think only a couple, only a couple. still prohibit yes, women. Yeah. But, or they um, can come in as guests. They can come in as dinner guests, yeah. exactly. So, and many of them uh, still have their roots around St. James Square mm -hmm. or otherwise in uh, the West End. So when I first learned about these gentlemen's clubs and I learned that there was one called the Ghost Club yeah. and I was doing a little bit of research on it and I realized that women were not permitted. I thought, well, I would love to write a story where a woman or two or three somehow maneuver their way in. Okay. Because you know, I like to write stories with a feminist bent, and I like to write stories where women are um, demonstrating their skill and resourcefulness against groups of powerful men. And so all I had to read was that women were not allowed, and I thought, okay, I'm gonna put a woman there and see what happens. Yeah. So, I really am excited about the London Seance Society. It comes out in the States on April 11th of okay, next year. Okay, 2023. I had dinner with my UK publisher last night. Okay, which is Legend Press. Legend Press. Yes. They're fantastic. This, this entire trip they've organized beautifully. Oh. And I understand that they're going to try and publish it the same concurrently, so the okay. same week. Brilliant. Uh, the London Seance Society is different from the Lost Apothecary in that, in a few different ways, one of them being it's not dual timeline. Okay. The entire book takes place in 1872 and 1873. Mm -hmm. And also, of course, there's, it has no, nothing to do with apothecaries. Yeah. It's, its central themes are about truth versus illusion. and how ghosts and seances and spirits play into that. So at many points in the book, readers are, are asking themselves, is what I'm seeing real or is it illusion? And I really like that exploration. Yeah, yeah no, definitely. And it's, it, as you say, it differs very much with 
with the lost apothecary where I remember in the book Nella says that betrayal can only come through trust. That's right. And I thought that was a very, a very um, clear statement and so true. Uh, yes. And so have, did, was that rather like your statement for your second book? It, is that how you start your books with, with almost like a very clear message of what, what, what the story to evoke? Um, somewhat, you know, that eloquent quote, you can't be betrayed by someone that you don't trust. And then what I kind of just explained to you about truth versus illusion, those quotes don't really come into, don't really come to life until I'm writing the story. Okay. But I do have a sense early on that that's one of the themes I want to explore. Okay. So I knew in The Lost Apothecary, that the women who were going to the shop to buy poison were doing so because they had been betrayed. Yes, yeah. And in this story, I knew that one of the main characters, she's actually the understudy of the spiritualist, I knew that the understudy was going to be questioning her belief in ghosts right. and whether they were real or not. Okay. So, but you know, the actual writing and the prose and kind of the beautiful lines that come from all of that mm -hmm. don't happen until I've actually put pen to paper and started writing. Right, okay. So have you kind of mapped out the next 10 years of writing for yourself? Oh, heavens no. <laughs> I... How, how, does the, how does it look from your perspective? Is it, you finish a book and you go, oh, right, have a rest. Or, or are you already thinking about the next one? You know, every author works a little bit different, and I'm envious of the authors who seem to have this backlog of four, five, six story ideas that they yeah. just can't wait to tell. The reality is, I don't have that. Right. Um, I'm, I'm actually right now just trying to pull together some thoughts about my third book. Okay. Um, I've got some ideas, which I'm not really sharing with anybody, but I hope that my creative muse will continue to go. Blossom. <laughs> uh, will continue to blossom and um, hopefully give me a good idea here in the near future. Yeah. Um, I am excited about the idea that I'm working on. I, okay. It just needs more development um, in this summer. We're doing a lot of travel, so obviously we're here in London now. Yes. And then we'll be home for a couple of weeks, and then we're going to Italy for two weeks. Okay. okay. And Whereabouts I just in Italy are you going? All over. Okay. Um, we fly into Rome. We're going down to Sorrento and the Malfi Coast, and um, then taking a train up north to Florence and Lake Como. Okay. So a lot of the country, and I simply don't have the mental and creative bandwidth right now to sit down and flesh out these story ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, right now I'm trying to make sure I just get rest and fulfill my commitments such as this like one. Yes. And then I look forward to July or August getting back to my desk yeah. and, you know, taking a break from the events yes, and yeah. kind of thinking uh, through what's next. Okay, okay. So as, we, as you're talking just now, we're just past Chancery Lane Station. So this is, I mean, look at this old yes, it's beautiful. building on this side. It has a very Tudor appearance. Yes, very much so with the old, I imagine that roof space beautiful. I'm a, I'm a conservation building surveyor in my past Oh, you life, are? So oh, wonderful. I would be crawling up on that roof. Okay. Going <laughs> and ahhing over the, uh, the beams and the, the trusses and all the rest of it. It's beautiful. Yeah. But I think we're almost there, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're very close. So let's build the momentum. That's wonderful. <laughs> so. Um, so in all the places that you've visited around the world, have you, uh, have you one that's had a very big impact on you that, that has stayed with you and will? There are, a, gosh, there are a couple. Um, we went to Thailand in 2019, just before the pandemic, and there's an elephant sanctuary up in Chiang Mai, oh, which yes. is North Thailand. Have you been to Thailand? I have been to Thailand. I've been to Chiang Mai, but I haven't been to the elephant sanctuary. I don't think it was there when I was okay. was there, but uh, it's quite a long time ago now. It um, was, you know, we were only there for a matter of hours, but when we left, I kind of made a, 
commitment to myself that I was going to return someday. Okay. So my husband yeah. and I would really like to go do a month-long volunteer program there. Oh, fantastic. Where you stay in their lodging and every day you wake up and you build, you support, you help, whatever they need you to do. Yeah. And um, it sounds like hard work and not the most glamorous thing, but it's for such a good cause. So that was a really impactful trip. Sure, sure. Um, and then the other one that comes to mind, I often joke that this was the best day of my life, was uh, probably it was 2017, 2018. We went to Belize over okay. Thanksgiving. Yes. And on Thanksgiving Day, we did a tour through these caves underneath a mountain. So we put on a headlamp and a helmet. And for about six hours, we were in complete pitch black um, because you're truly in these mountain caves. And they, for lunch, they found a big rock and there was running water all around us and they laid out this white tablecloth on this rock and we had a delicious lunch and um, that was probably the coolest <laughs> meal certainly the neatest thanksgiving i'd ever had um <laughs> and of course in belize you know they don't celebrate thanksgiving it's just kind of an american holiday yeah but yeah, yeah. uh that trip was unforgettable yeah, and i would highly recommend anyone who has the opportunity to visit Belize. We didn't even see the beaches. We just went inland into the rainforest and the mountains. Fantastic. It seems to be a theme going on here between that and also Chiang Mai, which is also inland. That's right. It's about the people and the feeling of understanding another culture and also simplifying your life for however long or short a period, simplifying it from your perspective but from their perspective it's a, it's a very responsible life that they're living right. in their world yep exactly and, and it's a, so two places okay and places that you'd like to visit that you haven't been to yet so you know we're very excited for Italy coming up that's toward the top of our list a couple of other locations I would love to go to Africa Yes. Um, you know I love adventure I would love to go see some of the wildlife maybe help again with an, an animal sanctuary um, because I'm I'm aware of the fact that tourism is taxing on the environment it's taxing on the animals um, the, the people and I I would like to learn more about sustainable tourist options yes yeah. are we going straight here I think straight down. okay um, but I would love to go to Africa you know maybe do like a responsibly sourced safari um it's a big continent isn't it it's a big continent yes a lot lot that you could get involved with isn't it are we gonna go okay this way oh there goes a little dachshund we have a dachshund at home do you what's her dachshund called uh her name is zoe zoe she's a little bit smaller than that and she's got wire long wire hair that's a short hair gosh must be a bit hot in Florida having one. Yes, she, okay. she loves the heat. She'll go out and lay in the yard in the middle of the sun. Oh, really? And I don't know how she doesn't get yeah. hot, but she loves it. So who's looking after her at the moment? One of our very dear friends is watching her. Okay. Um, what she, will, you, will she come to Italy with you? Can you get her a passport? Oh, heavens no. <laughs> she's kind of high maintenance. Is um, she? Yeah. yeah, she's a sweet dog, but she... She likes our attention and she, we didn't train her very well at the dinner table, so she'll sit there and beg for food. Oh so she would not be a pleasant travel companion. <laughs> Do you have any a... dogs? I don't, no. One day, but uh, in London, I just don't feel it's the right thing to do. I'm not yeah. around at home enough to be able to be there. And the last thing I want to do is have a dog locked up in the house sure. for all day. And then you just, for your, for your for, just because I want to have a dog, I sure. want to have a dog when I know that it can have a nice life as yes, well so absolutely that's important from my perspective yes but um so yeah in addition to africa um we would really like to visit new zealand yes uh we've never been to australia either but okay. for some reason new zealand calls to both of us more my husband really loves lord of the rings and that's where the hobbit ah uh, yes is set filmed there, yeah. uh, or was filmed or something yeah. i don't know i don't 
I'm not into Lord New Zealand is a fantastic country, both so north been there and south. Well? Yes, you've yeah. done a lot of traveling. I have, I know. Yes, there's still lots. Of, the African continent as a whole uh -huh. I haven't been to, but, but most others I've been to in some way or other. But, uh, yep. but uh, New Zealand is amazing because the South Island is for me very like Scotland, which is okay. where I'm originally from. Sure. Um, and the North Island is not. They're very different because it's more volcanic okay. uh, island. Yeah. But the people are just so lovely there, and it's a yes. lovely way of life. I think if you go there, you might not want to come back. I know that's the problem. <laughs> so, so I don't know whether you realise, but as we're walking along this uh, the street, which is about to go up the Hoban Viaduct, and so if you oh, look yes. down, the streets are below, so you could get a sense of London on two levels almost here. So would this have originally been a waterway? Uh, good question. I don't know the answer to that, I'm afraid. Possibly. I, that was something I, interesting I learned when researching the Lost Apothecary was... Um, we need your map, basically. <laughs> right. Something that I learned when researching the Lost Apothecary, and then it kind of is related to mudlarking as well, is that you know long before London as we see it and know it now, there were all of these little waterways and tributaries running throughout the city that dumped into the River Thames. Yep. And yes, there's a stairs going down here, I think. Yeah. Okay. Well, we can uh, we can cross maybe right here. Yeah. Yes, so all the little like Fleet Street and the little was a Fleet River, which is no longer. Well, it's a tiny it's a trickle right. now. That's right. And, uh, yeah. This. Uh, and then will we go that way? Okay. Right, so that's why there are so many interesting objects in the River Thames. It's not only because people have thrown them into the main river, but because there were so many waterways yeah. throughout the city that households, when they had trash, they would just throw it into the waterway. Yeah. And oh, eventually, over time, it has made its way um, down to the river. Yeah. So I actually, I don't think we've talked about this. I went mudlarking in the summer of 2019. Yes. Something I haven't done yet, but it's, I love walking down by the river. Yes. So. It's beautiful. And how did the mudlarking go? Did you find anything? I did. I found, yes. I found, you know, special to me, not necessarily special to mudlarkers who are really skilled. Um, I found a lot of pottery pieces. That's a very common item to find. Yes, it is. And, and pipes, the old uh, right. smoking pipes. Um, yeah, and I found, found a portion of a clay pipe. And for anyone who's on Instagram, if they're listening and they're on Instagram, I, I'm very active on social media. And if you scroll all the way to the bottom, like my, some of my very first posts, uh, there's a picture there of everything I found while in London mudlarking. Okay, so, so your I, Instagram feed is at Sarah Penner? Sarah Penner author. Author. And if, if people type in just Sarah Penner, I'll come up. Yeah. Um, I'm also on Twitter and Facebook. Okay. Um, I'm fairly active on Twitter, not as much on Facebook. Yes. And then I have a website, so sarahpenner.com. And anybody who's interested in some of the historical research resources um, mm -hmm. that I used that the, uh, there's a select list there on my website. Okay. Um, there's also a summary of the London Seance Society. Yes. Um, and here I see Bear Alley just ahead of us. There we go. How exciting. That is so funny. <laughs> here we are in yes. Bear Alley. We have to go so down. So we've got to definitely go down. Especially as, oh, and to the end, this is, our, this is the bit in the book that I, that I loved, that she went all the way to the end and climbed yes. over the gate. And, uh, yes. And it was almost like a secret garden moment. Have you read the secret garden? Um, I haven't, but my sister-in-law absolutely <laughs> yeah. loves it. Yeah. Yeah. So on Google Maps, which I used when kind of exploring this online, this is about where Google Maps ended. So I was kind of imagining and fictionalizing what would have been here at the end off yep. to the right. Well, there's definitely railings and the gate. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but not as you describe. Yes, there are. <laughs> exactly. This is great. 
And it's on the right-hand side, which is where you had. I know. Yeah. But there's no little uh, patch of grass. There are some shrubs, yes. though, and Caroline. A couple of plants. Caroline goes through the. So see, you could almost there's imagine it. Yes, exactly. If, you know, there was like a tiny you, little alleyway there. Yeah, you really could almost. That imagine is like it. back alley. I feel like I need to take a photo. Yes. I think it's so funny I've, that I've never been here until now. I thought you definitely have been here. So I was saying, I'll know that you're going to go, oh, not again. <laughs> Let's take a photograph of you with them. We'll get you with a sign at the other end as well. Wonderful. We'll do one at the other end where you've got the bare alley sign. So these markers are all markers in London as well. The post represents, I think. So this is a part of the city of London. With okay. The, because it's got the uh, emblem there with the shield and the dragons. And what is the what is it supposed to so mark or commemorate? The city, the city of London. So basically, the city of London is one mile long. Okay. So we are in the city of London. Oh, so you I have see what a you're very clear marker that. Uh, so there's the mayor of the city of London, whose remit is just the city of London. Okay. So, and it's a mile square. So we're in the, a mile square. Of the oh, city of I London. see. I also love, you know, kind of the back of the building. I describe that yes. in the book. Um, that's one of the things I love most about London is the fronts and the facades are so often painted over and refurbished, but the backs of the buildings, um, you can even see like the soot stains that were yeah. never scrubbed off, which yeah. would have been from the Victorian era when everything was just full of fog and smoke. Exactly. Um, and then just even the detail on the chimneys at yep. the top, the, whatever yes. those things are called that come off the top. Um, I just think the backs of the buildings are so beautiful. Yeah. They tell another story. They tell another they? story. They're much more interesting than, you know, the modern day breaking glass. Definitely. And it's great that they still exist as well. Yes. You know? I mean, that's part of our heritage and, and also conservation. You know, so many of these buildings have been listed, a lot were listed and still right. got knocked down, but, but uh, some still remain and they're tenaciously hold on to them as much exactly. as possible because I they know. tell a story that which otherwise we would just lose unless we went to the library and the records to, yes. to find out the archives. And I'm just know. horrified by the thought of how many beautiful buildings were destroyed in World War II. Um, I was just looking at some information today. You know, you and I met at 51 Gower Street and yes. so I had asked Oh yeah, we want to do a picture with that. With the bear alley. I had asked um, my, the team, you know, do you know the history of this building or when it was built? And um, so, um, so yeah, they didn't know the history of Gower Street. Yeah. Um, so I went and did some looking myself. Good yeah. left. Um, and learned that a lot of the area was destroyed during the Blitz. Yeah. And that's just so unfortunate to think about, especially for those of us who love history and love old buildings. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's part of the, again, it's a part of the history of the London and then the rebuilding and the redesign. I mean, that's right. With the, with the great uh, fire of London as well, how that just destroyed a lot of the medieval lanes and um, alleyways and everything. And then exactly. it was restructured and had a new uh, definition. But a lot, of, a lot of the alleyways were kept and the buildings were aligned alongside them. Yes. Equally, a lot was lost. So uh, we're just we're always walking over layers of history, basically, aren't we? Exactly, right. Um, so now we're walking down to Blackfriars Bridge, which isn't too far away. How right. are your feet doing? My feet are great, are yes. Good? Thank you. This is a, a longer walk than perhaps you had anticipated. It, that's okay. I'm, I'm glad that I brought tennis shoes. Otherwise, we would have had to discuss alternative, alternative options. I would be giving you a piggyback. And <laughs> right, right. Now, what would you do um, or what have you done in the past if it's raining out? Oh, we still walk. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Just with umbrellas? With umbrellas. Okay. Or, I mean, if it's really bad, we'll go and shelter under a tree or something. Sure. I mean, if it's I think there's only been one time when it's really, really windy. That's when it's bad. I see, because and, that affects the audio. Yes. So I podcast chatted with somebody in there at the British Museum recently because it was so cold right. and, um, and windy as well. So it wouldn't right. have worked. But, uh, or, we, or we postpone if we can, knowing the next day is going to be a good day, if, yes. if that works. But it doesn't always work like right. that. Right. 
but to date I've been fairly lucky with the weather. I mean, I podcasted through the winter as well. So okay. Just wear lots of layers and a, and a woolly hat. <laughs> yes. And when you're on the move, you keep, you get warm anyway. Sure, right. So, so you said you were based in? Uh, Southfields. How do you spell that? South. As oh, Southfields. South, and then Fields. Okay. So oh, it's South the tube stop for Wimbledon Tennis. Okay. Yeah. So uh, is that south of London or north of it's London? It's south of London. It's right by Wimbledon, and it's uh, it's about three stops on the train from Waterloo. Oh, that's not bad at all. No, or it's on the district line. Okay. Sort of ten stops out. Oh, that's not yeah, bad at all. It's not too okay. bad. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Everything in London is within forty-five minutes distance, generally speaking. It doesn't matter where you are. You always have to allow at least forty-five minutes. Okay. <laughs> that's great. So, so I tend to walk everywhere. Or I bicycle, okay. or take the tubes. So. Okay. Well, I have my bookshop is in Waterloo, so right by, wow. right central. And right when by. did you own your bookstore? Uh, from 2014 to 2019. So okay. Five years. Okay. And then the landlord sold the building, and then the pandemic happened, so it was meant to be that I closed. I see. I see. Yeah. My partner and I looking to do something more like a retreat thing. It's called Traveling Through. Oh, wonderful. And we may end up in Italy or Spain. Or oh my goodness. Sure we're going to That's move wonderful. abroad. Yeah. yeah. So probably still have a foothold in London, but sure. uh, not sure where. That's great. But, uh, a lot of change is happening for lots of people. Yes. A lot Last of people have, have kind of taken the pandemic and decided to do something different. Yeah. Yeah. How, how did it affect you, writing or did you find that you blocked? Well, so when the pandemic began, I was still working in finance um, and writing in my spare time, generally in the morning before I logged into work. Um, so my company, of course, we all worked from home. Yes. So are we going to go down these yeah, steps? We're going to go straight on, but there's Ludgate Hill. That oh, I see. Yes. As well. yes. All these markers for your book. There are. There's so many. Yeah. Um, so... You know, working from home, um, like most of the rest of the world. Yes. Um, and then once restrictions, the timing really was kind of funny. As soon as restrictions started lifting, that was around the time that the Lost Apothecary came out. <laughs> but, but people still were not comfortable with in-person events. Yes. So that's why most of my events early on were virtual. Okay. But... Uh, you know, Florida, where I live, they are, it's a conservative state, and they, I think, were um, easier to, to, uh, to deal with than maybe some other states. You know, we didn't have quite as strict rules, so okay. we were still able to go outside without a mask. You know, I know, like, in New York, uh, anyone who went out for a walk needed to wear a mask outside. Yeah. We never had to do that. No. So I was thankful for that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it was a, a strange couple of years, but all in all, I think we got through it perfectly well. And um, both of us are, my husband and I are lucky to have flexible jobs. So yeah. really can't complain too much. And with, with having a sort of a, a full-time job and you were writing at the same time how did you balance that in a way that was good for your mental health as well so I a couple of things uh, I thrive on being oh I, I love to work um, you know I, I love to play and to rest and go on holiday as well but I I don't mind if it's something I'm passionate about um, so I had no problem really waking up in the mornings to write before work. Yeah. Um, that said, you know, the, the week that the Lost Pottery Carry came out, I resigned from my time in finance. Okay. And it's a good thing because I do not know how <laughs> I would possibly balance all of this now if I was still working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so my life has really transformed in many ways. And I love it. I love the shift. Yeah. I feel very fulfilled and energized by the work that I do now. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm so thankful and I really can't complain. Um, I do take mental health very seriously. When I'm tired, I rest. Yeah. Yeah. When I need a break, I rest. Yeah. Um, so 
I, I don't want to be one of those authors that tries to get out a book a year mm -hmm. that feels too much for me. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of authors do that, especially in the States with historical fiction. And I just don't want to hold myself to that frequency. It just feels like a lot. Yeah, yeah, yes. I wonder whether also then it, it sort of pushes you, you thrive, but in not a good way. Right. Uh, it can bring negative energy and it's trying desperately to get the words and get exactly. the Exactly. If anything, what, what do you find the hardest thing to do or, or have you found the most challenging since you gave up work and have committed yeah. yourself fully to, to the whole gamut right. of, which, which is, uh, of writing and being an author and marketing? Um, I think the hardest thing is just maintaining this sense of, um, oh gosh, um, belief in your own creative work. So okay. we as creative people and authors, we're the most critical of our own work and we're constantly asking ourselves, is this good enough? Will this sell? Will people like it? Will yeah. my editor like this? Is this going to ruin my name? And you have to kind of find it's, it's like balancing self-esteem, you know? Yeah. And you have to just sort of believe in your own work. And if no one else likes it, that needs to be the, uh, something you're willing to accept. Yes. Yeah. Basically, <sighs> fundamentally, mm -hmm. you have to believe in it and you've got to love it yourself as well. That's right. Yeah. Because right. it's like anything. You can defend something <laughs> that you believe in and that you love yourself. That's right. Yeah. Yes. So we're now... On Blackfriars Bridge, yes, coming we are. to the, our destination, our final after yes. Bear Alley, without without uh, giving anything away, it's one of the uh, big moments in the That's book. That's right. Isn't it? The one of the most pivotal moments in the story takes place at kind of the top of Black Blackfriars Bridge. Yep. Obviously, this looks vastly different than in the story. Yes. You can see some mudlarkers are out. The tide is way down yes. right now. We can't see the shoreline because there's mudlarking that goes on on the left. Right. On there. Right. And the Fleet River comes out that side as well. Um, hopefully, we'll get past this hoarding and we can have a look at the look at the river. And we, yes. And sum up. <laughs> <laughs> right. But why did you decide Blackfriars Bridge just because it was the nearest bridge? And well, so. The bridges that we see around us today, only about half of them existed. Yeah. Not even. Actually, no, there was just a few. Um, so I was, it was like a convenient limitation. I okay. only had so many bridges to choose from. Yeah. And this one was the most central to uh, my story's locations. But the challenge was in properly describing the bridge because you can't it's not like this. It's no. not like this. No. So I had to go access various historical pictures, and uh, you know the British Library has a lot of really beautiful images and drawings that helped helped me as I was trying to envision that really important scene toward the end of the book. Yeah. 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 And it really is such a, it, it, there's a real build up to that moment, isn't there? You, and uh, and um, considering she'd been, Nella had been across the bridge, so Pothic Bridge, yes. to, to Walworth, which is a bit further on, to collect beetles. Yes. To, um, and now I'm, not, I'm never going to look at a, a beetroot. Yeah, so you can see a lot of way. <laughs> exactly. You can see um, a lot of mudlarkers. Ah, there we go, yes, on the other side. Down there. Yeah, there's a... Is this which side of the river did you do your mudlarking? Can you both. Remember? Was it both sides? So I did the south side near the Globe, yeah, and then the north side near Millennium uh, Millennium Bridge. Okay. So, uh, okay, so both of which were, yeah, yeah, towards the tower. Yes. Yeah. So, fantastic. Yes. What a moment. I know. It's so it's, nice to be here. It's like, kind of like a wonderful place to conclude yes. the because this is where the story concludes because as well. Because in fact, this is actually the moment that I've got to in the book. So literally I have oh. like two chapters. Oh, you're there. almost to the I'm end. I'm almost there. Okay. So uh, yes, yeah, so this is the moment which has is, which is just happened. So I thought it was very poignant for myself. Absolutely. Uh, and to be here as well. 
and the water was um you know a little more precarious even than it is now um yeah. and in the middle of winter yeah extremely well. cold yes it's a, it doesn't look very inviting does it no it really doesn't <laughs> not even in summer it really doesn't so sarah to um one last question i want to ask sure is um have you been into herbs and flowers and apothecary from from a from more like a healthy uh, living well sense rather yes. than the, the death poison sense. yes absolutely so i mean this is peppermint tea that i'm drinking right now um i love herbal teas i have a lot of essential oils at home i actually forgot to pack a few of them and i'm kicking myself now so yes and i love to cook i've uh, i've dabbled a little bit in gardening mm -hmm. so they're the um, apothecary themes and kind of the day in the life of an apothecary was not a huge stretch for me in terms of um, you know my interest in those natural remedies. Okay. So it was it was a natural fit and that's good. It needs authors need to be very invested and interested in their subject matter. Yeah. Because you spend so many years talking about it. So. Um, that was yeah good that I had that interest to begin yeah. with. I think it shows in the book. Too, yes, that, thank that, you. That you're the interest in that. And, yes, and I love the way at the end of the book you put some recipes, some not, uh -huh. not poison, no recipes, poison. So recipes like the rosemary short. Uh, yes, the shortbread, the shortbread which yeah. I recommend. It, that's delicious. It's one of my favorite cookies. Yeah. Um, and there are some cordials and cocktails in there as well. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So for people wanting to. Get a copy of the Lost Apothecary. You can find it in all the bookshops in, in London um, and also online. Yes, absolutely. And um, it's also an audible book, is that it's right? It's an audiobook, yep. It's ebook. Uh, really, any version that people prefer is available. Perfect. So, well, thank you so much, Sarah, for yes. coming and spending so much time walking of course. Across, across London because I know you've got another engagement to go to this <laughs> yeah. afternoon, another yes. bookshop to go to. Well, thank you, Emma, for having me. This has been really wonderful and very unique and so interesting and fun that we got to finally go to Bear Alley. We did. I know. I feel very privileged that, that I took you there. Well, yes. actually, I did. Mark took us there. So thank <laughs> yes. you, Mark. Yes, thank you to my husband, husband, Mark, who helped get us around town. Yes, without you, we wouldn't. We'd probably be still circling around we Gower would. Street or yes. something. Yes, yes. And, um, Google Maps. <laughs> Google Maps. Google Maps. To credit Maps, for this, yes. yes. And um, yes, and to Legend Press for for also uh, publishing it in the Absolutely. UK, and we'll be publishing the next book coming. That's out. right. Um, so to all you podcast listeners out there, I hope you've enjoyed our conversation. I certainly have. It's been very inspiring. Um, do look up Sarah's website, sarahpenner.com. She's on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and. Uh, I've got a few YouTube videos that people are welcome to look at. Um, and then at my website, you can there's a contact form there or just subscribe to my newsletter. Perfect. Okay. So hope you all have a very good week. You've enjoyed the podcast. Do subscribe. Please do give us a rating if you've enjoyed it. Please do share with your friends. Um, you can find more about me at travelingthrough.co.uk. But for now, take care and thanks for listening.